And uh, welcome once again, episode 16 of Swing Thoughts, the award-winning golf podcast uh, hosted by two people that love the game, um, love talking about the game, fancy ourselves a couple of golf smarty pants. You were, I I gave you a tip, I didn't give you a medal. (laughs) I was talking about the level of golf broadcast excellence. Oh, so if there was, if this was entered into a contest, we would win? Is that it? Listen, my friend, this might, I, I would like to uh, propose that this might be the best, you know, golf-centric uh, broadcast of its kind. Might. No, possibly. I, might. No, Anywhere no. on the planet. No, let's go with uh, the affirmative. All right. We believe, we're in the now. All right. It is that. So, yeah, well, we, did, we did win the award You've already. completely wrecked another opening. That's fine. By trying to be too literal, but that's cool. Um, I'm an improviser, and you're a literalist. Uh, but the point is, we love golf. Love talking about golf. And we love all the people that have responded. Tim O'Connor, of course, a mental performance coach at O'ConnorGolf.ca. And, of course, you can find him at Glen Abbey, the uh, academy. Uh, do you actually do much teaching out of there, or do you teach... You teach everywhere, really. Yeah, around. Yeah, we're going to get around. I'm going to be at lovely Willow Valley in um, Hamilton, I think, tomorrow. Hopefully, it'll be above five degrees. Yeah, it's been, uh, we continue to experience probably a cooler than normal uh, spring here in southern Ontario, where we broadcast from. On uh, today's Thursday, May 5th, while we record this, on Monday, I teed off in a, uh, an event at 8 o'clock in the morning. It was like one degree and windy and it had full on. I had a couple layers. I had long johns, pants, rain pants. I had four layers on top. Everyone in my group was wearing toques and I had warm-up mittens. And I, and I, I, I was funny because I was like, this is weird. Because I, I said to one of my buddies, I said, you know, this is the kind of day where you'd be marginal on walking the dog. <laughs> yeah, but there you are. But give gol- golfers will relate to this. Like, you know, we've been out in weather where you'd be like, I'm not sure if I'm going to walk the dog today, but you put a stick in her hand, yeah. I'll walk around for four and a half hours. Oh, yeah, I think that's a lot like uh, a fisherman, you know? Exactly. It, it, it's like storm. It's nothing but cloud. Oh, I see it. It's opening. It's opening. It's, uh, it's, like, that, it's like that moment in uh, Caddyshack, whatever the guy goes, it's clearing up. Um, we'll get right to our guest today, who is a, uh, I, I guess, a friend of yours. Uh, Tim, when I, when I first met Tim, he was talking about this book he had written with uh, Todd Graves. And uh, Todd's our guest. Uh, please say hello to, um, I was going to say, he's, he's known for a lot of things. Co-founder of Graves Golf Academy. Are we finding you in Edmond, Oklahoma today? Uh, yes, I'm in Edmond. I've uh, been here for the last couple of weeks, and I'm glad to be home for a little while. Well, that's excellent. Um, Todd's a great player, played on the Asian Tour, played in the Hooters, the Dakota Tour, and um, came across uh, this this method of golf, the natural golf, which I guess began in the early 90s, right? Natural golf started, actually, in the early 90s, and um, I got involved with it in 1994 after... Uh, I met Mo Norman, and um, Mo Norman was a part of Natural Golf for a while, too. They were promoting the single-plane golf swing, which is basically Mo's, Mo was the, uh, the guy who started the single-plane swing. He kind of figured it out before, before Natural Golf even got started. So I was involved in that and in in all through the 90s. And the book you guys did together that Tim co-authored is called The Single-Plane Swing. Right, the single playing golf swing, play better golf the Mo Norman way. Tim and I just completed that book. Uh, we published it, I think, early last year, so 2015. It came out. How has it been received, Tim? I mean, do people love it? Is it is it something that they're finding easy to to? I mean, ever since what's his name, Bryce's D, Bryson DeChambeau became a national figure, must you guys must love this? You know, Todd, you run with this. We were talking the other day that uh, since Bryson's been on the. Uh, on the scene that uh, sales have spiked, right? The, the the biggest question we get, and I've had my academy now for 16 years, the biggest question we get is, well, if, if Mo's swing is so great, why isn't there anybody on the PGA Tour swinging with a single plane? And so Bryson, yeah. you know, he won, the, he won the NCAA championship and then he won the U.S. Amateur. So the single plane swings won a major championship now, and now he, he turned pro a few weeks ago. 
So now you have Bryson out there on the PJ Tour with a single point swing. It kind of answers that question that people have been asking us for years. Yeah, and and um, yeah, it's people need to associate it with cred- with the credibility of the PGA Tour, and that's been a question that gets asked all the time. So it, it was really a matter of time. You've had guys like uh, Kuchar, uh, Stricker come close to a single plane swing, but it's more uh, Bryson is is right there. He doesn't have all the 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 hallmarks of of Moe's you know address position and things like that, but. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly so. Anyways, to get back to that question, Todd, what effect do you think it's had on uh, on how people are receiving the book? Well, I, I can just you know kind of look by book sales because there's there, there was quite a every time Bryson plays now there's a, a pretty sur- there's a surge in sales on on Amazon and we've seen a lot of books moving just just from him being out there. So you know it's only been a few weeks since I've actually checked uh, the sales from from all the sources that we sell the books through, but. Uh, the publisher called me the other day and said, "Yeah, I mean, books are moving like crazy right now, and it's all—it's all because Bryson's out there, and he's uh, and the and the announcers and everybody's kind of point, pointing out that he his mechanics are different, and then he's on a single plane. So it, yeah, it's, it's really helped book sales tremendously. Um, if you want to find out more about what Todd's up to, he's got a great website. It's all—it's filled with lots of uh, instruction and lots of stuff you can learn, and lots of uh, stuff that you can buy. MoNormanGolf.com." is uh, Todd's website. You can order the book online. It's Graves Golf, the Mo Norman Single Plane Authority. And before we get off to the mental side, which is one of the reasons we do this show, is to talk a little bit about how the mental you know, part of golf is such a big component. Back to what Timmy and you guys were saying. It, it's funny. If, if Mo Norman was considered one of the best ball strikers that ever played golf... Why haven't more people gone to it? And, and forget credibility. If, if, if someone was to try it out, don't you think they'd find, like, wow, this is a little bit easier than what I've been trying to do? You know, I'm going to jump on this well, that, first. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Mo, in, in all, so we're in Canada. Mo is like a hero. Among golfers, we've all, we all know Mo, mm-hmm. of a, particularly when we're uh, of a certain vintage, mainly we're older. So, yeah. <laughs> like if Mo was alive, he'd be, I think, 84 or 86. I can't recall. But, you know, he would have been around for a long time. But Mo really was kind of a minor celebrity. He was among hardcore golfers, knew Mo. But Mo wasn't that well-known among your average golf fan. And that's what Natural Golf tried to do, was to, to increase his knowledge. So... You know, a lot of people have been exposed, but not a huge number. Todd, what's your take on that? Well, I think you got a number of factors. You know, I've been I've been in the Mo Norman world for a long time, and we had number one factor was Mo played golf in a time when golf wasn't quite as popular as it is today. Even you know through the Tiger Woods era, so golf golf gained quite a bit of popularity in the eighties, nineties, and in 2000 so you know that that's when golf really really started kind of growing as a sport i think and then and then mo played golf in the 50s and 60s and then maybe a little bit in the 70s so he kind of played at a time when you know arnold palmer was just becoming a, a household name and a hero and so mo was a canadian guy who didn't play on the pga tour so yeah i think you're right in the respect that maybe not a lot of people heard about mo and then, then combine that with the fact that uh, Mo wasn't exactly, um, you know, uh, the, he was a tough personality to get to know. He he had some social insecurities, and he you know he kept to himself, and he wasn't a really he didn't have management and people out there pushing him and getting to know him as a public figure. So combine his personality issues with the fact that he played golf at a time. You know, Mo even said it himself. He'd tell me all the time, you know, I hatched too soon. <laughs> so I mean, you know, so. So he said those things, and he, and I think that's part of where you see, okay, combine that, and it overshadowed really what he, to me, it overshadowed what his golf swing mechanics were all about, because if you just focus straight on golf swing mechanics, I think they're the purest mechanics that's ever moved the golf club, um, even even more pure than a guy like Ben Hogan. So um, I think you combine all those factors, and it's kind of the, uh, the perfect storm for people really not really knowing who he was, and so that's, that's kind of been what, what Tim, that's what you've done a lot of that with writing Mo's biography. That that kind of set things in motion. Natural golf kind of set things in motion, and then now Graves Golf is kind of carrying that legacy forward, keeping getting people to know. And, you know, the people we teach, you know, the average person I teach is 55 years old, so and older. So 
so the people that really see the benefits of Moe's mechanics, simple mechanics, are the guys that are not trying to play on the PGA Tour. So that's the other side of it. Yeah, but one of the things that you and I talked about this often was that um, Moe's swing, so Moe's a different cat, and he looked different when when he hit the ball. I mean, at address, uh, he didn't look like your prototypical PGA Tour player with his uh, knees bent and just kind of tipped over with his butt sticking out. That kind of athletic position that gets talked about with the, the hands hanging down from the shoulders. You know, Mo was, his legs were straight, kind of wide, reaching out, so it looked kind of different. And, and that's where we get into on this show is how people are really concerned how sometimes they're going to be judged by others. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the resistance was around that, yeah, they may they want to hit it like Jack Nicholas, but they wanted to look like Jack Nicholas, not like Mo Norman. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with it. I, I think when it comes down to the younger players, especially. Well, yeah, it's, it's they, interesting they, that it's interesting that that's what you brought up because what I was kind of asking is basically that, like most people, if you showed somebody in a quick range session how simple that move is and. You know, Todd, there was a time when natural golf first came out. I told this to Tim. I basically got a, an old set of clubs, and I fattened up the grips, and I spent an entire winter on my own just kind of, you know, playing around with Moe's swing or the natural swing motion. And it was as close to a single plane as I've ever come, and I've never hit the ball straighter in my life. And then someone said, well, why wouldn't you go back to the golf course you were playing at at the time and play like that? And I said, because I, I, don't, I, I just didn't want to look... It seemed a little bit awkward, and I was, wasn't was ready to sort of go, screw it, I'll just hit it like this. But I've often said, if I ever had to hit a pitching wedge on the green for my life, that's exactly how I would do it. I would stand like Mo. I'd get my arms out there because it is, it really is the easiest way to move a golf ball without hurting yourself. But is that yeah. the, so? I think the barrier. What I was trying to get at is the barrier for people's adoption of a single plane, whether it's your method or Mo's or the hybrid. It's part of it is because they they think they're going to look weird. Well, it, it, I, I think that I think that's the that's the beauty of having a guy like Bryson out there. I mean, here, here you got a guy that he's a great athlete, and he's he's showing people on the tour that are showing people in the world that look he, he looks different, but man, he's getting great results and. You know, and the, the commentators don't really even know what to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like, right. they're confused. You know, they're like, "Well, this is this is a different swing," and and they talk about his equipment. Well, he's got all these single length clubs, which you know they, they try to focus on everything. But hey, this swing in mechanics, you know, he's re, he's eliminated some angles. He simplified the the swing. It's on plane. It moves up and down on the same plane. And so it's it's you know, Bryson's going to help a lot with that whole perception. Because it is a perceived thing, right? I mean, we're talking about what people see and what they perceive and, and their actual, um, you know, what they, you know, we have this thing in our head of what a golf swing should look like. Well, Bryson can change that now. And, and you know, that's 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 an interesting thing that's going to go on right now. If, if Bryson plays well, stays on the tour and, and, and wins some tournaments, you're going to see the perception of the swing change. And then, then you're going to say, well, now you don't look weird. You look like Bryson. Yeah, you know? exactly. So it's going to be different. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's something you said um, I thought it was interesting. You, you were talking about the gol- the world of golf instruction. Um, Tim showed me this, and, and you're talking about you know how how we admire players we see on TV, and how we we think that's the model that we should sort of base our our abilities on. And and you know I've said this before, Todd. You know when you watch PGA Tour coverage on television, it's skewed because you're watching the best players at your sport having a great week so you yeah. you believe that you know that the all good players play at some level what you don't see are the guys that shot 78 75 missed the cut and these are guys that were pga tour top 200 guys in the world to shoot 74 78 and, and you don't see them on the weekend but you're, yeah but it's you're, like it's like watching baywatch on tv and then you go watch then you actually go to the beach you know? so, okay. That's just, that's very good. I yeah. was I was gonna use, I was gonna use another uh, form of uh, video entertainment, but sure, that's a good one too. Um, and it's interesting in your in your note you say that you know you see a guy like Jason Day and you see him hitting four irons two ninety five in that Taylor Made commercial. By the way, this program brought to you by Taylor Made uh, Golf, Taylor Made Adidas Golf. 
home of the uh, number one driver on tour, Jason Day, of course, playing TaylorMade equipment, hitting that M1. Taylor, in, in that commercial, he's hitting a, I think it's the M2 iron. The um, the player, not the not the the blades, but the sort of you know average player club. Gave him improvement. Ridiculous. Club, yeah. But but yeah. We, but the point is, if you were a pickup basketball player and you went out with your friends on the weekend having fun, you wouldn't compare yourself to Kyle Lowry or you know yeah. Demar Derozan. You go, oh, that's a professional athlete doing this sport I enjoy. But in golf, for some reason, we think we should be as good as those guys. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a, you know, the average PGA Tour player is 28 years old, and, you know, these guys are, look, they're highly trained athletes. We They, they work hard at their fitness and their flexibility, and they, they hit play lots of golf, and they play more golf in a week than most guys play in a year. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is, it's skewed, and that perspective is skewed, and I think you have to look, you know, from an instructor standpoint, you know, from my, my perspective is I, I, I want to, I want people to get results, I want it to be easy. I want to simplify it, and I want them to have more fun playing the game when they get out there. It's, and it's all about hitting good shots and enjoying your time when you play. So there's that fine line between, oh, here's what Jason Day did this last weekend on the tour, and, oh, by the way, let's go get you hitting the golf ball better so you can have more fun playing golf because you're only going to play uh, for five months out of the year, then you won't touch a club for the other you know, seven months. So. So yes, I mean that's that's the balance of a, that's a golf instructor's balance. The number one question I ask my students when I when I first meet them is, how many in this room like to practice golf? And it's about a fifty percent deal. Half the students will raise their hand and say, I like to practice. The other half go, don't like to practice. So you got people that don't even want to practice and they want to play good. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, very interesting, yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, part of the reason we're doing this show, uh, Swing Thoughts, brought to you by TaylorMade, um, is to kind of give people a, a new paradigm for thinking about the game. I mean, yes, loosely it's based on uh, a better mental approach, but a lot of it is just maybe like this conversation now. You know, you're a guy that teaches golf, and you're saying, hey, um, you can't be as, you're not going to hit a four iron ever, ever in your life. 295. So what is reasonable expectations? I'm, it's what I encounter every day talking to golfers. It's what Timmy does. It's what you do. And I think that's the shift. And you, you talk about it in your note about, you know, the, the market of golf, the, the 55-year-old guy that's, you know, rushing back from the office and gets to play a couple times a week. Their expectation of what enjoyment is is, 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 a, bit, is a bit skewed by watching golf and, and, and thinking they should be better than they are. Their own, expect- yeah. particularly their own expectations of what of what golf really is, and I think that's really driven by golf instruction and golf culture. We see we see out there all the time. Martin Hall's not to pick on them or breed or or golf digest, but it's it's instructional tip after instructional tip, and I. Th- and what I think happens is that golfers just get this unreasonable expectation that if they just apply this certain move, like like I call it the magic golf shirt, and they go out, that they'll suddenly play well. And it just diminishes their own abilities. Well, no, I, what you just said there is it's a great phrase. Golf culture is the problem. Because the culture of golf is, if I can just fix my swing, then I'm going to enjoy this game. And Todd, you you teach people every day. They no one's ever. First of all, your swing is never fixed. You know that there's. I'm sure you've encountered this. You played on. You played at golf at one of the highest levels you can play at it, and people would still be blown away knowing how many crappy shots you hit in a round of golf. Right, and they and they'd still they'd still. Be surprised at how much we tweak and, and practice, even even now, all the time. Uh, you know, it, it's just a different level of tweaking. And I got some really high level players that I work with, and they're always tweaking stuff. You know, it's just it's always you never you know you want to hit a little bit better, you want to hit a little bit further. It, you, you never get to that point where you're like I'm completely satisfied, and that's it. That's all I want to do, and I got it. You know, you never get there. Even Mo never got there. I I, I practiced and played with Mo. Uh, quite a bit and he was always telling me stuff he was working on it was is always i mean it never ever ends but you just have to get to that level where you're you're you you, you always want to see progress you know as a coach as a coach and i say as a coach not just a teacher of the swing but as a coach i want to see people reach their potential so you're you're, you're always pushing people to the next potential and so you, you take somebody where they're at and you say, okay, here's where you're at. Let's, 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 get the, let's, let's adjust here, adjust here. 
and then out here is your potential. So you're going to have to do this, 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 and this to reach your potential. So you always have this this carrot that's sitting out there that's the potential, and you always have this where you are now and how you get there, and you're always working towards that. And that's how you help players get better and better and better. But to me, that's the fun of it. And and I I think from an average golfer standpoint, if that's the perspective that they're coming at it from, then golf is fun. If you, the problem that I that I, I see in my golf schools is about 60% of the people that come to my schools, and this is very interesting about our golf schools, want to quit the game when they get there. They're like, this is my last chance. If this doesn't work for me, this I'm done. So and it's very funny. interesting. To, it's interesting to take that person and say, okay, I got to take you from you're so frustrated with the game you're going to quit to. Now I want to help you reach your potential. We have to completely shift that perspective for them. And um, that's the challenge we have is, you know, they're not coming to us going, hey, I want to reach my potential and I want to get a little bit better. They're coming to us, I'm done with this This if you don't help me, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating, yeah. And they come to it, too, that, uh, hey, I got my member guest coming up in uh, three weeks. Uh, this better yeah. work, so I hit it better. And that's, yeah. that is the craziness of this freaking game. And... So what we try to talk about on our show is achieving that balance. Yes, you need to have some fundamentals in place uh, to be able to hit the ball well and some awareness of of what good posture and those types of things. But it's the balance of being able to work on your swing but go out on the course, maybe even on the range, and start to just let it go and let it happen. You and I were talking about it the other day. There's a point in which it's a diminishing return in terms of this focus on fixing and making it and making it better and capturing it on video and making sure I'm on plane and that type of thing. So, so Todd, how do you deal with your students in terms of striking that yeah. balance? Well, I, I think it's like it, it, I, I, I equate it to like a switch you have. So, and I'll just give an example. So, I think when you're focused on as Mo would say, purity of technique or, or, pure, or, or getting better at technique, there's there's a total, totally different mindset that you have to go into where it's, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to, you know, adjusting the positions of my body and the where I'm in the top of the backswing and where the club face is and, and getting my, my address position perfect. And so you're, you're really focused on the purity of the positions and technique. That's, that's, that's a mindset. Then when you you got to flip a switch, and that switch has to go to, I'm going to go play the game. I'm, and it, it becomes more feel and score. And that's when I, I, have, I teach people processes. You know, here's a pre-shot routine process. Here's a, 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 a process of, of a pre-round process. And here's a what you do in between your shots process. To get them in the, the, when I flip that switch, to get them in the mode of just being out there playing the game, feeling the shots, you know, hitting the short shots, work on the short game, and when I say work on it, I mean just feel the short game, feel it. So it, you go from basically technical, non-feel, to feel. And and you have to flip the switch. And if, you're, if you don't flip the switch and you, and, you, and you jump between the two, that's where frustration always sets in. It's always frustrating to be in the, in the middle of that. And you know, Todd, I, I, I agree with you. And I think, though, if you take it back... Maybe a couple steps even before that. I mean, and I, I sort of laughed a little bit when I when you said uh, people come to you and like sixty percent of them want to quit the game. And I often equate that to other sports. Like, how bad how bad would your squash game have to be before you're like, I'm never going back to that court. I mean, it's, it's absurd. Or oh, I'm not going to play rec hockey anymore. I've gone three games in a row and I can't. But golfers are just listen. I guess it's accepted. If you're listening to this show, it's you're a golf nerd like we are, and, and you've thought a lot about the game. But stepping back from what you said about getting them to flip the switch, what I'd like to propose to you two gentlemen is I think the conversation that's interesting to me at least is there's there's a, a switch to be flipped about the way golf is played. We kind of talked a little bit before the show about what, what would be a great vision for our company, Swing Thoughts and the Swing Thoughts Academy, um, brought to you by TaylorMade. Uh, but what I think is if, if there's a, a way of looking at golf that's not about your positions and short game practice, it's a way of looking at it like what are your expectations for going out for the day or going out? Why do you play golf? In the, in the, yes, we all like to hit good shots and everything and score low, but there's another game to be played. And I think that, that I think now is a great time in, in the history of the game to get people's brains around that. Do you know what I'm saying, Todd? 
I think that. Are you ordering coffee? Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm, okay. I'm here. Like one of the things I, I teach, one of the things I teach my students is to spend their time in a state of appreciation. Sure. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if you're practicing or if you're if you're playing. So no matter what you do, because how can you be how can you be frustrated if you're appreciating something? And one of the things Mo used to tell me all the time was, "Love every shot you hit, even the bad ones." But I'm gonna—I'll say that, and I'm gonna tell you this: you have to practice appreciation. Yes, you got it. So you, you can't say it's—it's it's like it's a—it's a habit. It's a habit you have to build. You hit a bad shot on a golf course, you have to build the habit of not calling yourself a name, you idiot. And you have to build—you have to practice learning from that moment and appreciate that. And if you can build that practice, that is how you learn to enjoy everything you're doing. But then the, the, the byproduct of that is you get better and you improve. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that because, you know, I was telling Tim recently, I'm clearing out my house, and I've got a, a giant box of golf, mental golf books. Every, you know, everyone you could think of from, you know, Rotella to some obscure guys. And I've got an equal size box of golf instruction books. <laughs> and I, I think I used to value one over the other. I, I know I spent a lot of time, Todd, working on the purity of my motion. But in recent years, I think part of it is age. I don't, I, I find it a, um, what is that phrase about? It's like diminishing returns. I can't, I spent a lot of time trying to be an amazing golf swinger versus trying to be a good golfer, golf player. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I always admired, I think I used to admire guys that could score their ball, that could golf their ball, uh, but, it's, but I still worked on my golf swing. Whereas now my mindset is I'm enjoying golfing my ball, and I, hit, and, and I don't care so much about the perfection of my motion. But it took me a long time to get there. I think there's the best the balance. I think it's just the balance. I mean, I think there's a time when you have to just put the get off the range and go play. And but but here, let me ask you this: You go out there and you go, okay, I'm going to go play the game of golf. And you go out there and you and you hook it all around the golf course, or you slice it all over the place. You got to change something. So the question is, how do you change that? You know. So because then you got to go back and look at the mechanics. So I think there has to be a point when when you're flipping those switches. Are you are you uh, is there something you want to fix? Is there something you want to get better at? Is there something you want to improve? Or are you happy just slicing it all over the golf course and that's good enough? I mean, that's the thing. Once again, right back to that expectation things. What's your expectations? That's right. If you just want to, if you're going around on the, if you go on the course knowing why you're there, if you're going out to play with your buddies and have a and have a really good time, then. That you're going to slice a few or many is not going to impact you as much because the the reason you're out there is to have a good time that day. And I don't think enough golfers take a look at why there are they are out there. Um, but it's also that I th- I think that golfers just through their expectations and through their thinking and the way they identify that they really lose the the feel of what's really going on for them and and I just we're going to we're coming to a close here with our time together uh but Mo had we called our book the uh, the book, The Feeling of Greatness. And that was a part of Mo that I never understood because like a lot of golfers, I viewed golf as this, this thing that I thought about and I, I thought about I needed to move this, needed to do that. And it wasn't until I started to really feel the shots and feel what was going on and really appreciate being out there, having some gratitude, being aware of just the feelings that I had physically, emotionally, that I started to play better. And that's where I started to understand Mo a lot better. Well, Tim, let me ask you this. I, mean, I want to throw this out there, and I know we're running out of time, but... No, we've but, got you some know, time. We, 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 talked about, we talked about indifference. The ability to play with some indifference. And Mo would call it the alert attitude of indifference. But my question for you is, is, is if you're not indifferent, so, it, it, you know, look, and I, I ideally, if I golf, when I, when I talk to my... Um, uh, students and I teach them about playing the game. It, 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 you, it, it's surprising how much ego is involved oh, in playing. So ego being that you have you 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 basically have self worth attached to your skill level. 
So, and, and look, I, I mean, everybody's, I, 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 the worst, I hated playing with some sponsors because I felt like every time I hit a bad shot, they were judging me. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. So you have this, you're, you, but you're, you're self-judging. You know, you're playing with this self-judgment. I'm a good guy, hit a good shot. I'm a bad guy, hit a bad shot. I'm a, you know, and we call ourselves names and stuff like this. Well, it, it, if you're not indifferent, then what are you? <laughs> you know? So can you play golf with pure indifference? And that's that's what I'm trying to get at is can you get out there and play with indifference? And when I when I play around of golf, and my partners, my business partners get mad at me for this because I try to play in a state of empty. I I'm not judging anybody. I'm not judging me. I'm not judging them. I'm just enjoying the process and I'm in my moment. And that's that's what I love about the game of golf. When I play golf, that's what I love about it because I can be in top world. And I can be not judging myself and not thinking about business, not thinking about, you know, things I got to do. I can be out there and experiencing the moment and not judging myself. We spend all day long judging ourselves. Uh, I should make more money. I should. I don't have enough money. I should make more money. I should. Work I gave half money. my money away. Sometimes <laughs> I visit it. Uh, that's an inside joke, Todd. Anyway, but I know what you're saying. If I may just interrupt, the the problem with judging yourself is, that, as you say, you get into you, you go into this beautiful green pasture, and they've done studies about the parkland effect on the human brain and being out of doors, and and yet you get out there and you continue to judge yourself in a, in a situation where. You're supposed to be having a great time. And, and you, you know, you can hit a, you know, I hit all kinds of bad shots when I was playing squash that I didn't take home with me. That I didn't feel like I was a bad person. I just hit a bad shot. Whereas golf, for some reason, it's so, it's so in us to, to feel like we've, we're bad people because we're not playing well that day. Yeah. It's, it's just absurd. And that's why I say there's a bigger conversation. Yes, you need some basics. Yes, you ought to be able to put the ball somewhere. But in general... There's, there's a lot of guys, you know, we both had our men's night last night. There's a lot of guys I listen to that don't seem to have an appreciation for what the actual game is. It yeah. really is as simple as it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. And yet we're miserable it's, a lot of times playing it. it. One of the things, one of the compliments that my instruction staff gets at our schools, which I'm always, I always really love these compliments, they, the students tend, will come up to us at the end of the school and they'll say, we really loved the way that your staff taught us this week because we felt like that we weren't being judged. Like we, we didn't have to, we could hit a bad shot or make a bad swing. And it was, we give them very positive reinforcement. Like, Hey, good try. Try it one more time like this. They weren't being judged. And, and they, they reflect that to us at the end of the school about how we, you know, we're not, we're, we're coaches. We want them just, Hey, keep trying, keep doing better, keep going. Good job. And, and, you know, adjust this a little bit. And we're not judging them. They don't feel judged by us. And it's amazing how powerful and how much emotional connection that makes with a student that they're not being judged for hitting a bad shot or making a bad swing. It's yeah. really amazing. And the other positive yeah. thing that comes out of that, because when you're in a non-judgmental environment, whether it's yourself or with others, that's when learning is possible. Mm-hmm. Learning exactly. stops when people start to should all over you or you get praise or rewards for results versus effort. Right. And there's like scientific studies. I think Carol Dweck. I think I know that's her last name. Uh, it'd be interesting uh, for people to, to look it up. Um, that you need that praising the effort and being in a non-judgmental place. That's just where you, that's where you can really prosper in terms of your own business. So if you can hit a ball and hit it offline and not immediately go to you idiot or have an yeah. emotional response, if you can just stay kind of cool about it. And go like, and really look at it from a learning perspective. Then you've got a shot. Well, and if I may, before Todd just wraps it up here, <clears throat> there's also a physiological. I mean, this is a, a bit technical, but you know, when when I used to hit a bad shot, I was like, I mean, the, some of the things I said to myself 20 years ago when I hit a bad shot, I really, if I'd said that to anyone else, I'd have been, you know, locked up. Yeah. Now I have this fascination. When I hit a bad shot, I'm almost like, wow. Like, I'm almost amused by how horrible it was and how that came out of me. Yeah. But what that does is it doesn't give me the physiological feeling of defeat. I'm able to sort of go, wow. You don't see that every day. And appreciate then I, it. And, appreciate and I sort of appreciate, yeah. like, whatever, whatever just happened to make it do that, that's yeah. crazy. But then I'm able yeah. to gather what it does. is, And that's my point is there's a physiological response to a, to a positive reaction 
Then and it it allows you to continue playing the game, which is the point of it all. Yeah, yeah, it allows you to stay in that in that moment and and, and still enjoy the whole process, and the, and it gives you. Uh, yeah, I, I mean that's how we—not just in golf, but that's that's how we should be, you know, living our lives. And you know, that's there's such a there's such, the physio, physiology is key. And I always tell, even in, when you're playing around with golf, you know, when I watched Jordan Spieth walk off the 11th green at the Masters, I saw his physiology just go change completely. He 100%. went from walking off the ninth green. He was he was chest was out. He was head was up. His eyes were direct. He was focused. He walked off the 11th green, and he just his shoulders were down, his head was down. He was walking up the slope there. I was like, wow. I mean, I saw a totally different human being. Yeah. And that's a, that was all physiology. Well, it was emotions that his physiology. And I'm like, wow, how's he gonna make a good swing with that physiology? You know? Yeah. And, an absolute effect. So yeah. So we the biography was called. Uh, the the feeling of greatness and that's what mo had for sure and like you could i could see that when the the few times that i got to play with him is either twice or three times but i never saw a person go into hitting a shot with such uh dedication and commitment and like there was just he just did it so quickly and he was just so sure that he was he was just so into the moment that and he hit it so quickly, and he hit it so brilliantly. And the opposite of, basically, the opposite of what you see with players that are unsure and judging themselves and worried about it. And, and, and if you ask a lot of golfers, you know, what are you thinking? Uh, you know, they're, they're certainly not thinking about target and feel, and, and they're not thinking about anything that will propel the golf ball somewhere. Yeah. I wanted to, to tell you guys. And, and they, go ahead. Yeah, and I, and I think, uh, too, is, you know, the whole analogy of, of act as if. You know where, um, you know here's here's the chicken or the egg. Should you should you wait until you're good to act like you're good, right? Or should oh, you yeah. act like you're? Or should you act like you're good and then and then and then your patterns will develop and you'll become good. Well, you know? I'm just going to tell you, I played last. This is a quick thing, and I'm going to we got to say goodbye, Todd, because Tim and I are going to wrap the show up for you swing thoughters that uh, know we do a little uh, you know chit chat with Tim and Howard at the end. I played golf last night with a guy. He's got a, I think he's a four handicap. He's uh, by any standards in the top, you know, four or five percent of guys that play golf. And on the last hole of the of the round, I don't know, he's got a 15 footer, decent chance at birdie, and he and he just lips out and misses it. And we all kind of go, oh, it's too bad, good putt. And he goes, oh, man, I really needed that. And I looked and I thought, needed it for what? And here's what he said. He goes, because that was for 79. So he shot 80. And I, and I thought about that on the way home. I thought, you know, why is it in his mind that shooting 79 makes him a decent player that day and shooting 80 is not as good? Whereas most yeah. people listening would go, man, I'd love to shoot 80. But but the, the way he phrased it is what I was thinking of is like, what do you mean you needed that? Well, he actually well, said this. You guys don't know how much I needed that. And I said, why? I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys go. No, I, we're never going to go now. We're all best friends. I, I, tell, I, tell my, I tell my students this story at my schools. I say, the best round of golf I ever shot in competition was 64. And you'd say, great round. I go, let me explain this round to you. I chipped, I chipped in three times on the front nine. Well, that means I'm missing a ton of greens, by the way. So I didn't hit the ball very good, but I, like, I, get my, I was chipping really well. On the back nine, I hold a shot from the fairway, and then on the last hole, I drove it in the trees, and I went to punch, <laughs> I went, I went to punch it out of the trees to the front of the green. I punched it too hard, and I hit the flag and went in for an eagle. So I, said, <laughs> I said, that's the best round of golf. That's the best tournament score I ever shot. And when I was signing the scorecard, all the players were like, great round, great round, great round. I'm like, I'm like no, I couldn't do it again if I had to. Couldn't do it again. That's again. right. The, 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 the best round I ever played in competition, I shot 73, and I missed the cut. And that's, that's when I actually controlled the ball flight, hit the shots I wanted to hit, made the putts. It was very difficult difficult conditions and I missed the cut for the tournament. So score is just a freaking number. I know. You know? You got it, and you just have to play shot by shot by shot, see how it turns out. But I, I was fascinated by that the expression, you guys don't know how much I needed that. And I'm thinking, well, how could that be? Like like I said, we all like I, I and again, I've been I've been guilty of this. You know, I've been a scratch golfer or thereabouts for a long time. 
<clears throat> but for some reason, you know, and there was a time where if I didn't shoot around par or close to it, I'd be like, well, you know, I guess I'm not a scratch golfer today. But if most people understood, the whole point about handicap is potential. Your handicap, yeah. as mo- most people understand, is based on your 10 best scores out of 20. But what it's actually identifying really is not your average score. It's your potential so even though I'm, a, I'm like a, a one or a two handicap now, you know, I'm not averaging two over par every time I play. I am 10 times out of 20, but there's a lot of rounds where I'm shooting 75 and 76 and 77 that I still think I'm a pretty good guy. Well, he said I, I needed that so I could feel good about myself. Yes. My, yes. my, my wife would, would she would I'd come home after a bad tournament, you know, a bad round in a tournament. She'd say... You know, she she just could tell. I mean, I I I was judging myself for two days after the bad round, and and it affected my me emotionally. And it was I, I was wearing you know that my my self worth on my you know it was, I feel bad about myself. I'm not a good guy anymore because I shot you know 78 you know whatever, and um, and then I'd go shoot 67 you know play really well, and I'd, I'd be calling all my buddies, man, you know like played great today, and I you know I'm, I, I have value today. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's it's absurd. And, you know, it, it goes to show you that this game, it, it, that's why it's endlessly fascinating. MoNormanGolf.com. This won't be the last time we have Todd on the show. Todd, thank you so much. Todd Graves, hey, a book with O'Connor is called uh, something about a plane. Boss, the planes. What is the book called again, Tim? <laughs> the single plane golf swing. You know I know the name of the book, right? Play better golf the Mo Norman way. I know you're messing with me. Yeah. And I've got a copy of this book. It's fascinating, people. It's well written. Tim's done a great job. So is Todd. And it's Buy beautiful. This book. It's beautiful. It's, it's big. It's the, one of the coolest looking golf books you'll ever see. If you're look, if you're if you have a, a hot drink and a sandwich, it's got a. It's a big book. You could put it down. <laughs> All right, Todd. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Stay well. He's a very good boy. So yeah, yeah, that was weird last night. Um, that that sentence just it it, it uh, fascinated me. You guys don't know how much I needed that. I'm like, what? How could it be that big a deal? And it's funny because the the, the transition for whatever reason from 79 to eight made that person not feel as good about his game. One is seven over. One is eight over. I know, and it's like I remember my dad used to equate it as like shooting eighty. If you had seventy nine there, he used to call that's like kissing your sister. It it it's suddenly not as good. It's not as exciting. Um, you know that goes a whole other. I, I, I was going to say though, I've, I'm that phrase about. I've always thought that it was like kissing your sister. I'm like, well, what if she's hot? Does that count? <laughs> We're going a completely different. Not yet. Direction. I'm not. We're still trying to keep the clean uh, rating on our show. But what was interesting to me? You're, take, you're taking my. You're honestly. I'm, you're fatiguing me. <laughs> Honest to God. Um, think about. Go the guy, think what's going on with that guy with the. Um, what everything was going on, he he needs to make this. Well, putt. that's a weird thing to say about a putt in a in a round of I know, golf. But that you've had a nice time, and yeah, but think about everything that's going on with him physiologically, yes, emotionally, lots of beer. And he, but, he, <laughs> but he was thinking, thinking, and like his body's in a different place. He needs to make this as opposed to just the freedom of making a putt. Make oh yeah, because I'll tell you what, that's a great point. If you're over that putt, thinking I need this for reasons that are inexplicable. That seventy nine is better than eighty. You're not in the moment. You're not doing. You're not doing a golf shot. You're you're thinking about a result. Okay. In our final couple seconds here, and I, it's funny. I talked to Tim O'Connor, by the way. I'm, I'm humble, Howard. I'm a director of transformation director. at the Swing Thoughts Academy, and I love that title. <clears throat> I love so that title. I, I played in a big event on Monday, big in terms of you know it's a provincials qualifier, and I'm playing with really good players, and I played really really well. So, but here's an interesting thing. And this part I didn't tell you. So I'm playing a better ball thing, and I played great. First nine holes, cold, cold day. And I was one under par on my own ball. And I missed putts on eight and nine. It could have been three under par. And as I said to Tim in the after, you know, ground briefing, I said, you know, I was pretty proud of myself. I'm in a big event, and I'm under par. And then I kind of lost on the back nine, made a couple bad swings, made a couple doubles, and shot 75 or 76. But here's what I didn't tell you. And I thought about it after. And I thought, did that affect me? And here's what it was. The guys I was playing with, one was a scratch and the other guy was a plus four. And the guy who was a plus four 
and I both shot the same number on the front nine. We were under par, both one under par. And he was very complimentary, he kept saying, good shot, because I was hitting. I had eight and nine greens. I mean, I was, it was pretty good. And on the back nine, I, I made a bat swing on 10, made a double. And then I think on 11 or 12, my buddy said, I said, oh, that guy's really good. He's a good guy, too. And I said, that guy's really good. He goes, oh, yeah, he's a plus four. And I was like, what? Because <laughs> I didn't know. I knew he was around scratch. And he was a good player. I could tell. But I didn't know what he was. And here's a funny thing. I started thinking, wow, that guy's really good. I wonder what he thinks of me. And, and I didn't think it a lot, but it was somewhere in my mind. And I thought about it after we had spoken. I thought, oh, that's interesting. That was definitely somewhere in my shadowy psyche that once, and until I, see, I didn't know. I thought he was like me, like a one or a two or a zero. I didn't know. I mean, I played a lot of golf with good players. But when I found out he was plus four, which is way good, yeah, I was like, I don't know. I think it was weird. When I didn't know, I wasn't intimidated by playing with him. But as soon as I found out that number, and by the way, the, he shot four under on the back. <laughs> he, oh. It was funny. He shot 67 on his own ball in a better ball thing. Their score was five under, and his partner was really good, too. And I was keeping their score. They were both. His partner it wasn't like his partner was making bogeys. He was making pars. But Buddy Boy made four birdies on the back nine. On a cold day. On a cold day. Um and I thought about it after. I thought, isn't that interesting that for some reason I gave value to his number? And would I have been less intimidated if he had just been a plus one or a zero? Or Do you know what I mean? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Well, we're social animals. It's, it happens naturally. We have to govern ourselves among who we're who we are at it's like a it's like our primal lower brain we have to sort out who's boss and all that type of stuff but it just totally screws us up because we're trying again it's like we have these certain amount there's all kinds of stuff that you could look at here but you have a certain amount of mental resources that go go on and when we get some of our thoughts are channeled away to something else we have less focus mm. So there's that one part of it. But once we start, it's basic is once we got into judgment of ourselves, we're starting to play with less freedom. Well, it's funny because I played pretty well in the back nine. It wasn't like I shot a million. I I just had a couple bad swings, but I just thought about that. I thought because I was aware that that my attitude toward my playing partner changed. And I think if we're all being honest, a lot of times our golfing experience is in relationship to who we played with and how they played that day and how we played that day and how we show up with them. And I'm happy to admit this because even at the level I'm at in terms of understanding and thinking and, you know, t- discussing, I have, you know, access to Paul Doolin and O'Connor and, and I, I have a lot of people in my lives that are golf experts. And yet there I was playing in a tournament and something about knowing that he was that much better than me affected me a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I'm just saying, like, it, so it happens. And he couldn't have been a nicer guy, very complimentary. And I, I did stripe it a lot in the back nine. I just made a couple of sloppy swings that led to doubles. It's, if I hadn't made those doubles, I would have probably ended up shooting even par or one or two over. And I would have been, you know, wouldn't have been so bad. But my four over versus his four under. Now I'm like, well, I'm not worried. I, like on the front nine, I was just as good as him. And on the back nine, I was eight shots worse. But it didn't make any difference. I was still me, and I still was playing golf that day. And it never makes any difference. No, It exactly. never does. In, in a tournament or a casual round, you can play with a bunch of guys, and, and I, it happens to me from time to time. I'll be playing, and I go, oh, man, this is so bad or something. And I'll yeah. go into uh, the grill room and have a beer, and no one cares. And no one even noticed. No, and they don't know. And or they, remember. Yeah, and the guy you played with... It didn't matter a lick to him how you how you played. It had all he knew probably was that I played with this guy Howard. We had a great time. We had some fun. Yeah. That's what it's about. But you start to be concerned, even in a subtle way, what's going on. Suddenly, there's consequences. There's more going on than than just golfing your ball. And suddenly, you've got more to, than score just you want to deal with because you are in a tournament. You're trying to qualify. You're aware where you are in a score way but if now you add on the burden and just a little bit 
Yeah, like, just like a it was a subtle thing. It wasn't like I was obsessing over it. And the reason it's funny because when we talked after the round, I didn't even think about it. But I thought about it in the, in, the, in a couple of days that have passed. I thought, wow, well, I wonder if that was yeah. part of it for me that I like to be the you know the big BMOC. I like to think I'm the big man on campus, and I was certainly every bit the better player in the foursome. The whole foursomes group. Uh, handicap total was probably plus two because my partner's a plus one, his partner's a zero. And so I and I went from that to thinking, wow, this guy's a plus four. Crap, you know. I thought I was. But it, oh, you it, thought you were the, the. I thought I was the best player. Yeah. You thought you were the hot tamale. Well, I was the hot tamale because here's the thing: it was yeah. it was zero when we teed off. I'm under par. I, I go par par birdie. These guys are all like bogeys, pars, and I'm like, hey, watch this exactly. And then, but I, again, I bring it up here because you know it's it, it's just. It's an ongoing process. Oh, yeah, but... An ongoing awareness, you know. Well, that's it. That, uh, what I really like about hearing this, uh, Grasshopper, mm. is that the, that's great awareness and learning. If you can be aware of that type of stuff, that's, that's absolutely fabulous. But I think every golfer's gone through it, playing to get off to a good start, start to walk, ooh, a little bit of swagger. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm, exactly. the, I'm the like, top banana in this group, and yep. they all know it. And a couple of bad swings and a double bogey followed up by a triple, and oh, suddenly I'm not so great. Yeah, and followed up by the guy. I think he birdied at one point. He had birdied like three out of five holes. I'm like, damn, this guy's pretty good. So here's a great place to connect with what Todd was talking about, playing with an alert attitude of indifference. Yes. So <laughs> alert being aware attitude the way i'm carrying myself and i'm indifferent to what happens i mean again and what todd talks about with the acceptance that's a skill sure and that it's is and, skill and you have to practice it. and it's something that i do practice it's something that's ongoing and uh you know part of the forum on this show is admitting like hey you know i even at the level of uh understanding and practice that i i'm bringing to it and the years of experience those thoughts still come up yeah, you know, and it's and then it's going to come up for everybody, you know, especially on you know people listening on you're an 18 handicap and a group comes up behind you on a par three. Ooh, you know, all those things happen to good all players, even even players at our level. It just does all those thoughts. Anyway, Tim O'Connor, another fascinating experience with you. Yeah, um, right back at you. Brother. Probably going to need some couples counseling. <laughs> O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. TaylorMade has really been great to both of us. Um, some great stuff that we're using. I, the other day I was in a group. Everyone had the M1. And um, I'm waiting for a conference call. I think it's coming now. Hang on a second. Hello? Is this... Hello? Howard? Yeah? Douglas Henderson. Okay, Doug, I got to call you back. I'm on Swing Thoughts. I got to call you back. Thanks. There you go. And you know what, Swing Thoughters? We don't even edit this out because this is real life. It's just like golf. There's nothing to edit We out. just accept everything Listen, if we were going to start editing. I'm practicing acceptance right now. There'd be nothing left. And he would take a phone call during our talk. Exactly. But it's okay. I'm getting over it now. Oh, I can see you're really getting it over. Listen to your voice. Good I'm my bo- I'm just getting <clears> into my body. I'm just yeah. breathing. I'm gonna, you know what? We're going to need to take some accepting, time in the range. Accepting. I'm gonna t- you're going to need to go to the broadcast range. We're going to need no couples counseling. I think that's what it is. Um, listen, Taylor made Was that golf. respectful? When you entered the phone, we're doing it. No, it's respectful. It's, listen, I got dissed. I got stuff to do. I'm feeling dissed. Are you? No. Yeah. Well, you you may need to go back and spend another couple of weekends. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Swing Thoughts, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast because uh, that really makes a big difference. And review us. Yes, review us, and we'll see you next week. Yeah.